Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Pony Stampede Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we hope you guys are having a good start to the week, or at least as good of a start to the week as Sonny Dykes and SMU had picking up their eighth commitment in the 2020 recruiting class on Monday. We'll get to that in just a brief second. Um, Look, we've got some things to go over. We've got two commitments to cover. SMU landed two of the five so far, official visitors they had on campus last week. And then uh, we'll talk about what's next in the SMU recruiting class, kind of where things stand on on both official visitors that or three the three other official visitors that were on campus last week. And I also want to give my thoughts on UConn leaving the AAC with some break. Really, I mean, that came out of nowhere in a way. We knew they wanted to, but good Lord, uh, that came together quickly. Uh, so we'll talk about UConn leaving the AAC, and then we'll also chat it up a little bit uh, about um, kind of what's next as the dead period hits with uh, the recruiting process for the 2020 class. So thanks for listening to the Pony Stampede podcast. I'm Billy Embody. Appreciate you guys subscribing, leaving us a rating and a review. But let's jump right in, right? On Monday, Moraga Campolindo, uh, defensive end outside linebacker, Mason Mastrov announced his commitment to SMU. Uh, the California defensive end is a 6'4", 213-pounder, uh, somebody that has consistently run in the 4'5", 40-yard dash range during camp season as he's picked up a few offers in the FBS ranks over the, over the summer. SMU included. This is a guy that they really liked for a while now and and actually somebody that, you know, when you looked at the defensive end board for Randall Joyner and the staff, it really didn't go that far down. It went Robert Wooten, Kari Coleman, uh, Mason Mastrov, and Jay Bell, who is SMU's other official visitor. Um, Robert Wooten committed to Arizona over the weekend, and then uh, Kari Coleman had committed to Kansas a couple weeks back. But look, this is somebody that they wanted. He tested very, very well when they had him in camp on his unofficial visit earlier in the month. They offered on the spot, um, got him on campus for his official visit before the dead period hit, and now he's committed. He's somebody that's been super productive, uh, has the size, has the athleticism to back it all up, um, and, and produced um, at the high school ranks as well. He's somebody that, look, from talking with him, he's won a workout warrior. Um, I would say his dad actually is the founder or CEO of, of um, uh, I believe, LA Fitness. Uh, so look, he's somebody that uh, has been around the gym, isn't scared of the weight room, uh, a 24-hour fitness, not LA Fitness. But um, uh, he's somebody that's not scared about the weight room. And that's one thing he told me was a big part of his decision was Kaz Kazadi, the strength and conditioning coach, being there for SMU. And their plan is to really bulk him up and put him, you know, in that 230, 245-pound range. I mean, if you look at the defensive ends that SMU has, has gotten, you know, in, in Kari Coleman, or excuse me, in um, uh, Gary Wiley uh, uh, late in the process, uh, he's somebody that was long and athletic and, and can move and had the length. This is, again, right out of that book. They're going to pack weight on him and make him a defensive end, a true defensive end. But Mastrov has the athleticism to drop in coverage right now as it stands. He's somebody that with his length, he'll be able to play special teams, be able to cover. He's rangy. Um, so that that's just an, an added plus for SMU. He's got a really big wingspan. Again, just somebody that you really like um, to add in this recruiting class. And 
and for for me, I mean, you can look at offers, and and I I think offers are telling. Um, but Mastrop plays in a in a tiny uh, school division. He he really doesn't, um, you know, um, it, it, he really doesn't um, play a great level of competition by any means. But athleticism translates. That's kind of been proven. When you look at guys who, when you look back on their recruitments, and you say. Wow, how did he only have SMU, for example? And I'll give you a couple examples. You look at Jordan Wyatt. He was one of the top te- track testers in the state of Texas at, at you know the highest level. And then Chad Persley was a really, really good basketball player coming out of high school and had really good you know athleticism rankings. I mean, his shuttle, I think, was like ended up being number three overall. If he would have gone to the combine, he did it at his pro day. But when you look at guys who didn't have many offers you point back and you say, wow, how do we kind of miss that? And it's because of athleticism. And so Mason Mastrov has it. He became the eighth commitment in the class. But on Saturday, SMU landed uh, Round Rock, Cedar Ridge, offensive tackle, Marcus Bryant. This one was a long time coming. The 6'6", 245-pounder picked up an offer from SMU earlier in the month after camping. He tested, again, very well. He's somebody that's a former tight end. He really actually, as of January, and he, and he kind of told me, I, I actually was, I created his profile at the under, underclassmen uh, combine. And he said, hey, put me as a tight end. I'm a tight end. And I just kind of looked at him and he just weighed in at 6'6", and back then he was about 235 pounds, and he had a 79-inch wingspan, and I just kind of looked at him and I said, I'll put you as tight end. I'll put you as tight end, but I'm telling you, most schools are going to probably end up recruiting you as, as an offensive tackle, man. You got that you got that $100 million type size to you eventually as you get into a college weight room, and sure enough, about a couple months later, he says, hey, it's... um." Is Marcus, you can you can move it off and tackle on my profile. I said, okay, all right. Um, so SMU lands him over Incarnate Ward. Uh, he had Panhandle State and and I believe East Texas Baptist. So very very middle, you know, way low offers compared to SMU. Um, but he's somebody that they have had their eye on now for a long time. Um, somebody that as they landed those five offensive linemen in the in the twenty twenty class before him had him circled as somebody that they said, okay, if we get this class set and we get in at a good spot in the offensive line, that's somebody that we want to take. We want to take him. We want to get him in with, with Kaz Kazadi and, and work him in the weight room, put weight on him, and and have him be what is now becoming the norm, a prototypical left tackle, right tackle type guy that came in, you could say underweight into college program, and, and then put on the weight, but had that athleticism from the start that makes him – you know, a, a game changer. And so we'll kind of see how it goes with him. Obviously, uh, not every single one of those evals is going to work out, but he's somebody that if you're going to take a chance on him, it's a pretty good one. And I think the other one that they would have wanted to would be Uganda Nana uh, out of Arlington Seguin. Uh, he opted to camp at TCU, you'll remember, a couple of weeks back, and he didn't take his SMU official visit. He didn't end up getting his TCU offer. And uh, then he was just at Houston uh, this past week during the week. So out of those two, and then you factor in Justin Northwest offensive tackle Michael Nichols, who actually just committed to TCU last night. Those are three guys that they looked at as developmental type players at the offensive tackle position. And SMU is actually the first uh, first FBS school to offer 
uh, Nichols um, as well. So good evals all the way around, really, for, for SMU on this, I think. Um, and so they get Marcus Bryant, somebody that has that. Really, I mean, that's this, he's got the size you want, and he doesn't have the offers. And, you know, he's just somebody that when I talk with Gabe about you know, ranking him, I said, look, he's, he's what we're looking, you know, what you look for now in offensive tackles. Um, and he tested really well and all of those things. So, you know, he didn't, he could have slapped a two-star rating or something on him, but he, but his film's good enough as well to get an 83. I think he got an 83 rating. So as he develops as a senior, we'll see if he can put on, you know, maybe get to that 250 pound range as a senior. Um, we'll see how that tape looks and he could be even more on, you know, on the rise, I would say in the rankings, but that pretty much wraps up SMU's 2020 offensive line class. Six offensive line commitments. They've got Aaron Smith, Dalton Perdue, um, Marcus Bryant, obviously, in the mix. Marcus Smith from Stafford, uh, Branson Hickman, and then Ben Sparks out of, out of Norman, Oklahoma. So I think what I think they really hit it on the head with this offensive line class. There's not one guy, I would say, that's really overweight. I think Marcus Smith is the one that'll probably have to trim down, but he's kind of that road grader at offensive guard that they were looking for. Somebody that can add some size in there and then, um, you know, be, be physical. So, uh, they have, they have six guys that they really like. They got to hold on to him. Aaron Smith's going to be one that's going to pick up more offers as his senior year rolls, rolls along. Um, and they're going to have to hang on tight, um, because this is a difference maker type offensive line class, at least from, eval standpoint and offers and all those things so we'll kind of see how it goes from there but SMU has its six offensive linemen committed in the 2020 class which is a really good thing moving on now from the commitments we're going to move on to the uh, three other official visitors and kind of where things stand with them look uh, SMU hosted Beaumont Westbrook defensive end Jay Bell they hosted uh, Wellington tight end John Holcomb and they hosted Midlothian uh, heritage wide receiver Jay Wilkerson and and all three um, had really good things to say about SMU. I talked to Jay Bell a little bit here and there. He's kind of on the quieter side of things, but he's somebody where I've got my crystal ball pick in for SMU. And if you follow the coaches on Twitter, um, <laughs> you'll notice they said three commitments. And so just read between the lines there. But uh, SMU uh, is in a really, really good spot for Jay Bell. I think he wants to do something um, kind of special. Um, as far as an announcement goes. So we'll see how that goes for SMU, but I do like where they stand uh, coming off uh, their visit. He's somebody that, again, I think can rise a little bit on the rankings. Uh, He's going to be on a very, very good Beaumont Westbrook team. He's on that team with fellow SMU target and wide receiver, Thad Johnson, who's, who's would be a home run type hit uh, for them. If they can get him on board, they've had him on on an unofficial visit. So we'll kind of see, um, like I said, how things go with Jay Bell, but looking really, really good for him right now. And then from there, uh, you can uh, read about John Holcomb's uh, recap of his official visit on Pony Stampede, kind of where things stand, who's he down to, what's kind of next for him in the recruiting process. He had some interesting things to say about that and kind of how he's attacking it. So I encourage you to take a minute, sign up for a seven-day free trial of Pony Stampede and, and check us out. And on the flip side of that, we made Jay Wilkerson's recap of his official visit free on the site. So you can kind of get a feel for what type of coverage you'd get on the recruiting front uh, of SMU. Jay went really in depth. He actually caught up with me as he was on the on the road to Kansas and Kansas State for unofficial visits to wrap things up. He's really going in depth on visits. I mean, he's been everywhere. He's been, I want to say he's been to Illinois. 
He's been to Kansas, been to Kansas State, been to SMU, been to multiple places in uh, Texas Tech um, as well. So he's he's kind of run, and Oklahoma State, he's kind of run the gamut on visits. And uh, he's somebody that wants to get back to SMU after the dead period. That was one thing he made clear to me, which is a really good good sign for SMU if he already wants, he kind of has that circled in July to get back in the dead period. So we'll kind of see if they can do that. Uh, the dead period will end in late July. Um, it'll be open for a weekend where guys can go on visits before their senior seasons and fall camp gets going. So we'll watch and see if Jay Wilkerson makes it back to SMU. Um, seems like an SMU, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech type battle here for him. Um, and he, he does want to take an official visit to Hawaii. So good for him. That'd be awesome. Um, I, I would love to take one. As I told him, I was like, that's a long way, brother, but uh, enjoy it. And so um, anyway, he's going to try to do that. And and he does want to be committed somewhere around the five-game mark into his senior season, which I think is fine. And I think SMU at that point will still have a spot for him. I don't think he's going to you know, kind of throw things away. But who knows? Um, his brother and his uh, dad were on his uh, – or his dad was uh, on his official visit with him uh, and got a look at it and, and had some positive things to say from what I've heard. And so uh, I, I, I think SMU is right in the thick of it. They just kind of hang on and, and kind of see how things go there. Um, but 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 it does seem like they really broke through with them. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how he approaches it um, from a decision standpoint. And if SMU can land him, he'd be a big one. He's been super productive. He's poised to have an even bigger senior year, I think, without Langston Anderson, the Oklahoma State signee next to him. They both had 1,200-yard-plus receiving yards a year ago. Um, so we'll kind of th- see how things go there. But um, a quality, quality receiver that SMU is right in the thick of. So that'll kind of wrap it up on SMU's official visitors, where things stand, and how things went. Uh, on the flip side of this break, we'll be back with more of the Pony Stampede podcast to kind of share what's next and also talk about UConn leaving the AAC. Welcome back to the Pony Stampede podcast. We appreciate you guys listening to us on uh, this Tuesday as uh, it's being published, but uh Hope you guys enjoyed that recap of all the official visitors and the two new commitments. We move on now and look ahead. The dead period is here. Uh, kids can't go on any visits of any kind until about late July. Uh, so where do things stand? SMU has eight commitments in the 2020 recruiting class. They sit with the number five overall class in the AAC, uh, at least at the time of publishing of this podcast. And at, with the class that they want to sign 25, where do things stand and kind of what's next? Here's where my mind's at. I'll kind of break a little bit of it down. And as the dead period hits, we'll kind of go more in-depth on things uh, on the site with some VIP pieces. But um, look, I, I think if you're SMU, you're, you're obviously counting yourself with nine commitments. Uh, with Jay Bell, at some point, you got to think, going to go public. And so from there, that puts you done at defensive end, done at offensive line. You've had guys like Jay Wilkerson, um, John Holcomb, um, you had Mason Chambers on campus for an official visit. So those three guys kind of still very much in play. Um, They hit the dead period now and kind of those are guys that are squarely on your board. You're in the mix for and you feel good about, I think, where you stand. Moving ahead, I think running back is a great mystery. Um, They've had guys like Isaiah Johnson on campus. He's a thousand yard back out of Richmond Foster, super productive. 
somebody that SMU's is only offer right now. And it sounds like I would say that would be one of your top targets at running back. And so from there, how does it all fill up? Because you've got you've had guys like Taj Brooks commit to commit elsewhere. Um, I believe he committed to Texas Tech, if I'm rem- remembering correctly. You've had some of these other guys come off the board. We're still trying to catch up with Brandon Thomas for a more in-depth recap of where things stand. He picked up that Arkansas offer. So where do things stand with him now? Because SMU has been his only official visit. How big was that Arkansas offer? Because they did take a running back right after that. I got to imagine that SMU is still in the mix for for Brandon Thomas, without a doubt. And he's kind of monitoring things at Arkansas to kind of see how things play out. Wide receiver, you've hosted guys like Thad Johnson for unofficial visits, Jalen Paxton for unofficial visits. Um, Miles Price is now back on the market. So where do things go from there? Could he end up at Texas Tech? We saw Quinn Bright, the Cedar Hill wide receiver, commit to Texas Tech. Is that a big enough deal to keep Miles Price out of there? Is he just going to go power five anyway? Those are questions that they've got to figure out now. But Miles Price back on the market. He's a slot guy. They just offered Raylan Sharp, who's, you know, they offered as a quarterback, but he's somebody that is great with the ball in his hands. He could end up being a slot wide receiver type. You just have, and then you've got Loic Fongi out there, the Midland Lee wide receiver who keeps things close to the vest, but he doesn't seem enamored with Texas. He had a great time on his official visit. You know, where do they go from there um, with him? So, the receiver, the picture is relatively clear. Tight end, John Holcomb, I noted, I noted him. Things are relatively clear. Drake Dabney is still out there. He's going to take things a, a ways, uh, a ways, a way out. So they didn't even officially visit him. They said, you know what, we'll kind of see where we stand with him in the fall. If, if spots fill up, we'll be right in the thick of it, like we hoped. Um, and we can officially visit him then. From there, Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, defensive tackle Sawyer Gorman-Welch out of Longview, somebody they're right in the thick of it for. He's taken other visits. Can they get him done before the beginning of the year? That would be huge for that defensive line class. Uh, He's a power five guy. He's really well coached, um, and he does seem to genuinely like SMU. From there, they had Derek Lewis, teammate of Mason Chambers, on campus for an unofficial visit. They're going to push for an official visit this fall. He told me that he wants to take all of those in the fall. So he's somebody that's letting the process play out. Um, he was at Texas A&M, I believe, over the, uh, for camp. He, he went to Nebraska. Um, so he's been all over a little bit. Um, so Derek Lewis is somebody to watch at linebacker. And then from there, cornerback is is a position that I just have no idea. We've seen Jade Barron commit to Baylor. We've seen Corey Black commit to, um, I believe, Oklahoma State. So we've really seen that that at least offer sheet kind of start to fill up. So where do they go from there? That's a position they felt like they can either go junior college with, um, which they have, and then also find guys that really emerge in the fall as productive, strong cornerbacks, um, because that seems to ha- seems to happen every year. So that's kind of the rundown of, of where I think st- things stand with SMU moving forward in the 2020 class. I like where they're at. They've got eight commitments um, and really, a, you know, nine. So they're, they're, you could argue, almost halfway full on their class. They got guys that they didn't get committed early. They got them committed late. So you feel like, you know, they're in a better spot to hold on to them than, than you know, March, February type commits. Um, and then from there, 
they're going to get guys that are genuinely interested because they're coming to campus, you know, either right after the dead period or in the fall for official visits and things like that. So um, I like the plan that they've executed so far. Uh, and then they'll continue to monitor and, and see how things shake out with certain players. And, you know, we saw last year a couple commits get cut. And um, so they'll continue to monitor things. But I think right now this pretty strong group as far as guys they like, guys they evaluated really well. Um, and then we'll see kind of how it plays out for him. But um, I do want to move on from from football talk, talk about the conference, talk about the AAC, losing UConn as a member, um, and, and just kind of share some brief thoughts and then wrap up the pod. UConn is leaving the AAC. It's been confirmed that the Big East is going to um, welcome them into the league. I don't really know when uh, it's all going to happen just yet. I hadn't been able to read up on it, but I did see that UConn was approved as a member of the Big East. Uh, so look, a couple things. One, uh, UConn's going to have to pay an exit fee. They are in financial shambles right now. I don't, I don't understand this move from a financial standpoint. If it's just to appease your fan base, it's short-sighted. It's, it's, um, it's bizarre. I mean, look, football can bring so much so much visibility to a program. And, and while their football program is terrible, you have got to, once you have it, you got to keep it. I mean, UAB learned that. Um, there are schools across the, across the country that once they drop football, um, you know, just kind of faded into being just more of an academic institution. And and that's that's okay. But look, I mean, UConn basketball, and as much as their fans you know, tweet about the AAC being garbage. UConn hasn't helped the AAC at all since it really joined the conference outside of the national championship year. And, you know, since then, it's been a a nosedive of a spiral. Um, So this is one that's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out for them. They're not going to get as much TV money as they think. They're going to lose revenue. They really will. Um, And and it's just, um, it's short-sighted. And as far as what the AAC does next, I think they stand pat at 11. I think that's the right thing to do. Unless you bring in somebody that really adds significant value in the TV contract, or really, to be honest, just about any value. Like if ESPN says that makes your TV deal worth more, which they won't, um, stay at 11. Why bother doing anything else? Just schedule either, you know, just fix the conference schedule in football, um, you know, add an, a, you, you pick up another opponent in basketball that you play one more time. But other than that, UConn wasn't bringing anything to the table. They really weren't. And, um, so they get to go back to the big East where they think it's just this Mecca of college basketball and all of that. But look, the AAC, when it's strong, it's a pretty strong league and, you know, UConn hasn't been able to win it. And so that's their own fault. Um, they've got some things to fix as a, as an athletic department, um, but look, um, the AAC is going to be fine, and I think the best move for them is to stand pat, stay at 11, and then see what shakes loose as, as ESPN kind of advises them on the TV deal and, and kind of who to target, maybe who to bring on. But I would like to see if, if, if they did target somebody. I think Colorado State is a real natural one. I don't think they're that far west um, between Texas, Colorado, um, you know, having Oklahoma with Texas. I think it would it wouldn't be that bad of a stretch for teams to go to. I mean, it's not as bad as flying up to UConn if you're SMU. Um, that the equivalent would probably be you know USF flying to Colorado State to play a football game, 
and it's a program that's trying and and especially on the football front I I think it can bring a little bit to definitely more to the table than than um uh than UConn did and you know basketball is a relatively I think easy program to put a fix to at times so um maybe they'll pick it up in basketball they had a rough year this past year but with that I I think you know stay at 11 figure it out stay patient AAC's in a great spot UConn was obviously not helping at all in football, so it actually might raise everybody's strength strength of schedule, um, and and just allow um, a better opponent to be on your schedule and help your argument if you're in a position to make the playoffs. So, with that, guys, I think we we talked enough on this podcast. We'll have another one later in the week. It's TCU week on Pony Stampede. We're previewing TCU, uh, you know, as we run through our schedule. So be sure to check out that content. Uh, we'll have more on kind of what's next with the recruiting process for SMU. Uh, Phil is also talking to a lot of the coaches of SMU's recent commits and getting in touch with them for stories. So we hope you guys have been enjoying those. We're going to continue to roll those out um, late June, early July and things like that as we go through the dog days of summer. They're really rough. So hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and have a great rest of the week.